Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 257 of the Simply Fit Podcast. It is good to be back. It's been a very long time since I've done a solo episode. I feel it must have been just two months, but it feels far longer than that. And especially considering I was doing the daily episodes before. So we are coming back with this first solo episode, which is going to be a long form. It's going to be a Q&A. It's going to be very similar to the one I did last year in August. I think it was or early September. It could have been on who is Elliot Hassoun. I went through a collection of questions that I gathered from Instagram, from friends, from family, and ended up going through all of those. So if you've not listened to part one yet, I would head over there. I listened back to it recently and I still very much agree with the majority of the things I said on there, which is good because my thought processes are regularly updating. So I just wanted to check that I still aligned with a lot of things I said on there and I did. And today we are going to do the exact same style. I've got a collection of maybe 30 plus questions. So I'm going to go through as many of them as possible within 45 minutes or so and just cover them extensively. So we'll get started with the first question that came from Instagram, which is what's your heritage and ethnicity? So I don't think I've actually covered this before, which is an interesting one, not even on Instagram. So my mother is English. I believe she has a hint of Irish in her as well. And then my father is from Iraq. So the combination of English and Iraq makes up my heritage. I am actually very grateful to have more diversity within it. Whereas I was younger, it was something that I didn't really take notice of too much. We didn't know that my dad's family too well. So I didn't have too much of an Arabic influence in my household. I obviously grew up in the UK as well. But now it's something that as I've grown older, I've learned to appreciate more. I appreciate the fact that I have deeper heritage that just goes beyond being British. I've never felt like I've fully connected with just being British, which I did actually mention in part one of that podcast. So it's always nice to know that, yeah, there's other elements to me and that's essentially where I come from. So that's the answer to the heritage and ethnicity. If you're ever wondering about my surname or maybe my skin color when I get a little bit more tan. So on to the second question, which is have the meanings of your tattoos changed through time? And I'd say that luckily and fortunately, maybe more fortunately than luckily, they have stood the test of time so far. i mentioned exactly what their meanings was once again in part one. So I'm not going to go through that in great detail, but I do have a new one since I last spoke about that. And I would say that the meanings pretty much are staying true. I think there was one that I got in regards to when I was going through more of a time where I needed more presence in my life. I needed to bring myself back to the present moment, essentially. So I did get the word aura tattooed on my chest, and it was an indicator to kind of bring my hands, my heart to bring myself back to the present moment. And I would say at the time that I got that tattoo, I probably 
needed it more. And therefore it was a consistent reminder to come back to the now, come back to the now. And I'd say that that's changed slightly more because I find the ability to be present a little bit more straightforward now. I don't find myself getting too caught up in my head as I used to, which is absolutely brilliant to be completely honest. So I'd say it hasn't necessarily changed the meaning, but it means that I use that tattoo or that reminder in a slightly different way. The other ones I would say are relatively similar. I'd say that as my life changes, the context of the tattoos will always change, but fundamentally the meanings and what they mean to me and what they meant to me in that moment will hopefully stand the test of time and we'll see uh, as the years come on. So the next one is my biggest learning since the pandemic. And I would say that it's a hard one to just put down to one big learning. I'd say there's a an abundance of learnings realistically, but I think the main one that I have to go through, just given the fact that I am a health and fitness coach, but also just being able to see how radically lives can change in just a short frame of time is just how important the value of your health is and not just from the perspective of you being able to lift weights or to eat nutritious foods. Health goes beyond that. Ultimately, everyone got a very good reminder of their health. I think, you know, businesses closed, people lost people. And I think fundamentally what we can all come back to is that ultimately without our health, we don't have anything. So I don't think it was something that I learned that was new, but I think it was just a very, very big reminder to all of us that if you don't have your health, you really don't have a lot at all. So I'd say that's probably my biggest learning without (laughs) it filling the entire podcast. I could probably do my top five and maybe I'll do that in the future. So number four, which is, do you have a phrase or a learning that you apply to many aspects of your life? I think I do. I work well in quotes. I work well in stories and analogies. And when they click in my mind, I am able to apply them quite universally. And the one that kind of rings true to me and that comes to my mind is master the art of showing up. And I recently did a post on, if you don't like the hand you were dealt, start dealing the cards. And basically what that's alluding to is that we all get given a certain set of circumstances in life. We can't necessarily control the family that we were born in, the city we were born in, the gender we were, all these different circumstances that we were just handed. And some people allow that to be their outcome, right? You might end up being born in really unfortunate circumstances and poverty, and that might be your reality for the rest of your life. But at the same time, like those were the ha- that was the cards that you were handed, and that's where you just got to literally start dealing your own cards. What I mean by that is that, okay, you didn't get given the best circumstances, but you can be a hard worker. You can be consistent. You can be well-mannered. You can do all these things that don't require skill or require finances to learn how to do. But coming back to that and what that meant to me is I always... I always come back to the learning of master the art of showing up. And I think that that's what it comes down to. I don't think I was particularly dealt a fantastic hand when it comes to my health and fitness. I was genetically not blessed. I was relatively chubby. My family were relatively healthy, but they didn't have a good comprehension of protein or what a balanced diet meant in terms of keeping your body composition in a good place. So I grew up as a relatively chubby child. And if, and what I alluded to in that post is if I kept with the hand that I was dealt, I would have below average physique and I'd have below average average health and I probably wouldn't be sat here today. But I started dealing my own cards. I started doing research. I started gaining interest. I started going to the gym. I started being consistent and I started showing up day in, day out. And so for what I missed in genetics and potential God-given talent, I made up for with the consistency. I made up with the desire and hunger to learn. And I think that can be applied to many other areas. I think it applies to this podcast massively. Do I think I was the best podcaster when I first begun? Absolutely not. But here we are, 257 episodes 
episodes later. And I'm, I hope to think that I'm a lot better than when I first started. And I've been able to produce something of value. And that only came down to continuing to show up, continuing to show up. And also taking the learnings as well, which is another thing you can do without any talent. You can assess your performance. You can look at different areas and how to get better. So if you want a learning and one that I utilize very to very good effect, it's to master the art of showing up. And that is going to take you a long way. It won't take you all the way. You still need to invest in many other things, but it will take you very, very far. So next question, how do you integrate your fit lifestyle into your traveling lifestyle? And I've actually done a podcast on this. I think it was called Top 5 Lessons Learned Fitness Related Whilst Traveling. It was episode 222. So I won't spend too much time on that question here. I just direct you to episode 222. I'll put it in the show notes as well so you can go back to it. But yeah, it took me a little while to work it out. And I think the biggest transition I had to make, just to give you a little bit of context, is realizing that I was not going on holiday, but this was my current lifestyle. And I do refer to a story in that podcast where I was walking to a cafe in the morning, ready to get going for work. It was like a Monday or Tuesday morning. And I worked past people who are enjoying like a beer at 10 a.m. looking out onto a beautiful view. And I don't really like beer that much, but every part of me wanted to go sit down and have a cold beer and just look at the view with them. And that's kind of how you have to, yeah, you have to approach things from the perspective of like, wait a minute, Elliot, you're not on holiday. You know, it's a Tuesday morning. It's probably not a good idea to have a beer at 10 a.m. And you have to realize that you can't get caught up in the moment because if you do just flow with the moment and your lifestyle is long-term traveling, you're probably going to not be in a great place with your physique and you may not be in a good place with your other goals when it comes to your work and your other commitments realistically. So next up is on the note of travel as well. A lot of them are today, which I always appreciate these questions. Why don't you share so much about your traveling life? And I guess that I feel I share a good amount, but I probably could share a lot more, especially considering I got a recent reminder that I actually used to do a lot of YouTube vlogs on my travels as well. And hopefully they'll be coming back soon. We'll, we'll soon see about that. But in that sense, I feel that I shared a good amount, but I think it just got very familiar. It just kind of looked like my daily life. And that's probably why I wasn't so keen to show just about everything. At the same time, I was a little bit more conservative during the pandemic. I started my real long-term travel during the pandemic. It was literally in June of 2020. And I know a lot of people didn't have the ability to travel. I know a lot of people were stuck in the lockdowns. I know that the circumstances were different in other countries. So when I actually made that kind of semi-permanent move to Dubai, which is a long story in itself, but when I went over to Dubai, I kept that to myself for at least two months because I knew the circumstance in the UK was not pleasant at that moment. It was the third lockdown. It was a, it was a long and cold winter. I didn't enjoy the vibe when I was over there at the time because we were all a bit miserable from being in the third lockdown and it came just after Christmas as well. So it didn't seem congruent with myself to be like, hey guys, I'm going to Dubai. But it felt a little insensitive to just be like, you guys are stuck in lockdown and I'm here on the beach, you know, living the dream essentially. That wasn't what the story was, but at the same time, it could have been illustrated like that. So to be compassionate to everyone who was in the UK or for those who didn't have the ability to travel, I wanted to just keep that on the down low. And eventually I did disclose where my information was. So I know that was a little bit more conservative then. So maybe that's why I didn't expand so much just because I know a lot of people didn't have the ability to travel. If I'm honest, that's probably the main reason, but I'm definitely going to be sharing more uh, in the coming weeks and months as well. So next up, what are your main goals this year in every aspect of your life? So my life has changed a lot in the past three months or so. So what my goals were at the start of the year definitely still remain, but my goals look a lot different 
different now. They're a lot more well-balanced, I would say, which is quite ironic considering if you listen to my balance podcast, you may laugh, but there's going to be more of that. So we'll let that be for the, until we get to later questions anyway. But my main goals for this year are, they kind of sit similarly without going into too much detail. I've mentioned this in the past before, and I do have goals, but the main thing that I'm most focused on is progress and in all different areas within my personal growth, within who I am as a friend, who I am as a family member, who I am as a partner now, and in the other aspects of how I do within my profession. How do I feel within myself? How do I feel about my spiritual growth? And the most important thing to me is not saying I need to be 10% more enlightened by 2023. It's the trajectory. It's about making sure that I am a little bit better than I was last year. I'm in a better place than I was. And that goes down to all facets, especially in the work as well. Am I helping more people from a health and fitness standpoint, especially for this podcast? Yes, I have some goals when it comes to metrics, but ultimately those metrics just mean I am reaching more people than I did last year, which means hopefully I'm helping more people with the learnings that I get. So rather than going down the route of saying, I want to be at this place and at this time, I'm focused more on the trajectory. And as long as I can see that steady growth on every single year, and hopefully on a month to month basis as well, although I know that there'll be volatility and fluctuations between that, that's the most important thing to me. The one thing I don't want to do is get to the end of the year, look at certain areas of my life and think, I didn't really move forward here. So as long as I can make progress in those areas, that's the most important thing to me. So next one is what have been the biggest challenges that you have been through in your personal life? Oh, again, that's another podcast in itself. Thank you for the deep question. But I would say that if I'm not completely honest, I have gone through a lot of internal battles and challenges for probably between, I want to say 2016 up until probably 2020 is probably the right time frame. I think since 2021, it definitely hasn't been without challenges, but I've been in a much, much better place. And I think it's just been that personal growth, that letting go of the unconscious old self and I'm nowhere even close to enlightened. I'm definitely a little bit more enlightened than I was. I am in a much better place. And I think there's been a lot of internal battles, both for my mental health and just with those existential questions that you ask yourself and the trauma that you experienced when you were younger that you didn't even realize that you did. And now you have to face all of that. And it's a journey. It's a challenge. And there are still elements that I am facing of that. So, you know, right now I look at it from the perspective of like, it's not super raw, like the deep hard work has been done, but there is still consistent maintenance that still needs to be done on a day-to-day basis now. And the thing with like becoming more conscious and becoming more enlightened is that there's not really much turning back. And the only way that you can really progress forward without losing your mind is to actually really dive headfirst into it. Because if you get caught between the two two sides of consciousness and unconsciousness, you, you can't really stay there. It's almost like the analogy, or I can't remember if it's a fable or a story of Plato's cave, right? It's when the man gets out of the shadows, he goes outside and he sees you know, what real life is and no longer the shadows. And he tries to go back in and tell everyone. It's like, if he stays in that phase of not going out and seeing real life or trying to go back in and just see the shadows, it's like once you've seen the light to theoretically speak, you, you can't go backwards. So you actually just have to travel forward. And even if that means leaving your previous life or the comfort and the shadows on the wall to use the Plato analogy, you can't go back there. It's literally something you have to go full force into. And it doesn't mean it's easy. You know, when Plato goes out of the cave, it's those bright lights. He has to readjust his eyes to the reality. And he's going to face a lot of new things. And he's going to be alone as well, because everyone he knows before stayed in that cave. So it's one of those things that 
it's not easy, but it's definitely necessary. And I personally think that if I had the choice to go back and choose, do you go through all those challenges and be where you are today? Or do you remain blissfully ignorant? I would 100% take those challenges, even though they were incredibly difficult during the time. And even though it's a daily challenge, but it's one that I embrace as of today and hopefully as I will in the coming months and years of the rest of my life. So that being said, that is a short answer to a very long question. What has been your biggest challenges within the fitness industry? Ooh, that's a good one. And I've not really thought about it too much, but if I was to put it down to one thing, I'm gonna do one that's personally for myself and one with the industry full stop. And I'm gonna start with the industry full stop. And I think it's the tribalism around different nutrition approaches or even different training approaches as well. It's like if you're keto, you have to be a diehard keto and you can never even look at a carb in the same way for the rest of your life. If you're a vegan, you can't just be a quiet vegan. You have to spread all the information about animal rights and you have to put it in people's faces. And I'm not putting everyone into this bracket, but the people who are in those camps who are maybe just a 10 or 20%, they tend to speak the loudest, unfortunately. And they tend to make everyone who's not within their camp seem like they're doing something wrong. And yeah, it's not helpful, full stop. And I mean, realistically, if people are trying to make an improvement to their lifestyle, but they can only be a vegan or they can only be someone who intermittent fasts or they can only be someone who who does keto, it's not sustainable, right? It's not sustainable. It puts you in a box. It means that you can't have diversity. It's like being keto can be really fantastic for certain people, but for others who just want to enjoy carbs and enjoy their lives, it's not a great approach. Yes, uh, you know, being a vegan might be really fantastic for ethical reasons. But at the same time, that educated person who understands and is conscious about their meat consumption could be just as valuable to someone who's this vegan who is maybe eating super unhealthy foods that are actually having a different impact on the environment. So if we're looking at it from that perspective, not an animal perspective, it's like sometimes the food that's made and created via for for vegans and vegan food full stop can be just as harmful as, you know, let's say, you going to a farmer's market, right? And the difference in the contribution that that has to global warming and all those type of things can be almost comparable, but the vegan seems to be on their superior high horse or vice versa, the person who's completely carnivore, who's making fun of the vegans, but actually could be a little bit more conscious about their meat intake. It's like there isn't, you know, there isn't any value in this tribalism and this absolutism that seems to be very, very congruent with the fitness industry. And in the training sense as well, it's like if you're a crossfitter, you can't do bodybuilding. And if you're a bodybuilder, you can't do CrossFit. And there are people who are admirably crossing paths and trying to bring a lot more diverse approach and a well-balanced approach. And I think it's beautiful, but it still seems to be there's a lot of loud people just talking about how you can only do one single-minded approach. And I just don't think it's really helping that many people. So that's the biggest challenge I would have with the industry full stop. And I hopefully there can be some transitions on that front because realistically, you can do whatever you want. If you're making a conscious and healthy choice and you're trying to better yourself or better the lives of those around you, full stop, that's good enough. And again, I, like I said, any extremes to that is is just not really that helpful. So I'm not going to give any more on that. I was just about to go into an analogy, but I'm going to leave that one. Biggest challenge I have in the industry myself, I think is just staying congruent to my message and not leaning into what I think I should be posting. I think I've gotten a lot better at that in the past few years or so. The more that I found myself and the more that I understand who I am, the way easier it's been for me to do that within health and fitness as well. There are certain things I'm just not going to talk about. Just 
the way I just said it. It's like, I'm not going to tie myself to one singular approach, even though it might be really popular to tell everyone how much I love intermittent fasting and how much I do it all the time or how I'm super diehard about this training approach and I get a tribe of people following me. I'm not interested. I'm literally have zero interest in doing what I feel like I should be doing or what peers potentially expect me to do. I want to remember who my audience is. I want to remember who I am and lean into what I feel is going to help the most people and where I can use my experience to the best degree. So I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges I had personally in the industry, but it's not something I, I would say that I face too much now. And yeah, I guess that I wouldn't say I got any big personal challenges. I like my place in the fitness industry. I would love to have even more of a platform and even more of a voice, which is why I do what I do here. But I'm very, very pleased with where I stand. I feel very congruent. I feel very authentic to my message. And as long as I keep in line with my values and the messages that I put out, and I'm always willing to accept when I potentially make a mistake or if I'm wrong or if I'm biased in any area. So as long as I stay within that path, I'll be very, very happy. So what tips would you give me if I want to start as a coach? I'm going to assume a health and fitness coach here. And I would say that I would probably just reflect on why you're doing it. I think that's probably the most important thing because I think a lot of people get into health and fitness because they just enjoy training. And I don't think that that is enough. I think you need to have that enjoyment and that desire to help other people as well, because that's what more of your job is going to be, right? There's a very, very big difference between playing football and being a football coach. There's a very big difference between being a health and fitness coach and training yourself (laughs) in the gym. Like these things are completely different. It's like studying and being a teacher. We can all, we all know how different those things are. So just because you like studying doesn't mean necessarily enjoy helping other people study. So I think that's going to be the main thing is just really understand why you're doing it. If you're doing it for any other reason other than wanting to make an impact on people's lives, I mean, yes, you can enjoy health and fitness and that can be a great place to start. But ultimately, if you're not really that much of a people person or if you're not really that bothered about helping people too much, and that might sound like, well, I don't want to admit that I don't like helping people. It's not necessarily about that. You might just help people in a different way. It's not to say like a footballer doesn't help people, he might inspire people to be a football player. It might be your health and fitness journey might inspire other people to get started on their health and fitness journey, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily a person to coach them through it. Your journey might just be the thing that inspires them. So it's not necessarily thinking that you're not helping people, but helping people in the practical sense of teaching people. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Um, So I think that that would be what I would analyze first. And if you have that curiosity about helping people, you love health and fitness, and you are really super passionate about it, and you're not super needing to make a ton of money very quickly because that can skew your vision a lot, then I would dive into it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? And at the end of the day, I think it's been a really, really fulfilling and rewarding career for me so far. I'm, you know, I'm a decade in now, so I don't think there's many things that you can do to have such longevity and make such an impact. So uh, I'm really pleased that I took this path and it has it been simple. No. Did I start out with clarity on where I was heading? Absolutely not. But I think that's kind of be the key is like, I always did want to help people. My, one of my first things that I wanted to be when I was younger was a teacher and I loved health and fitness and I was able to fortunately combine the two. So yeah, if that sounds similar to you, then I would totally go down that route and just be very, very willing to learn and don't be scared of making any mistakes whatsoever. So next question, is it hard to have the eyes on you to look fit? Yeah, that's something I think I might've touched on in the past, but it definitely was in the past for sure. And I remember being told, and I think I did say this on podcast, I was working in a gym in London and one of the trainers there who was, uh, what's a kind word to use? Okay, use your imagination. He was he was one of those guys. He was like, you need to have more presence on the gym floor. No one's going to respect you if you're, you know, small. You need to you need to either use your presence with your personality, but you you know, sometimes you can be a little bit soft-spoken, so you need to get bigger. That's a long story, which I won't go into right now, but at the same time, yeah, that 
put on a lot of pressure on me, but you've just got to remember fundamentally, like, yes, a lot of it is about your physique. And yes, a lot of it is about how you look and how you appear. And, you know, a lot of that's going to be how you attract clients. And there's going to be pressure from other people in the industry as there was in that gym. And there's also going to be pressure from the fact of, yeah, you probably can attract more clients to your business if you are in great shape. The fortunate part for me is that I've, I'm not someone who finds keeping in shape necessarily a struggle, but because not because I'm super blessed and I, you know, health and fitness is easy for me, but because I love it, you know, I love eating in a certain way. I love training. And like these things come very naturally to me now. So staying and looking fit is the easy part for me. It's maybe like being the biggest in the room or being the leanest in the room. That obviously requires that next level of effort. But fortunately at the place I am now, I'm not relying on my physique to do the talking. I'm relying on my experience. At the end of the day, my clients aren't coming to me because I have a six pack. They're coming to me because they know that I help their friend get in the shape of their life. They know I help their sister or their brother or their cousin transform their body and yeah, their mental and physical well-being. So I think the better I've got as a coach, the less pressure I felt. But that, at the same time, I still feel that I have a duty to keep myself in a good place with my health and wellness because I would feel incongruent with myself if I was telling all of my clients to do X, Y, and Z and I'd not done it myself. I'm not someone who's going to rely on my past and be like, yeah, I was in shape three to five years ago so I can just sit back you know, behind a computer screen. That doesn't sit right for me. I still want to train. I still want to be healthy and not just for myself, but to that sense of duty. And also it's so much easier to be a coach when you go through those things yourself. And that's something that probably is really valuable for me as a coach is that most of the experiences that my clients are going to go through, I've already gone through with myself or I've gone through with countless clients, which allows me to give them the learnings that I've taken along the way and that I've learned through other people too. So ultimately it was initially, uh, there was a lot of pressure. I think coming off the gym floor helped alleviate a lot of that pressure. But like I said, my experience and my confidence within what I do was probably the ultimate key because I don't feel it at all anymore. And it's actually quite enjoyable just to go down whichever route I want to, because ultimately I will always be in shape. So next up, how do you manage those low days when you don't feel like exercising? So I have another episode on this one. I think it was episode 234 and I did four ways to exercise when you don't want to. And I used all those tips earlier in that year. So I would highly recommend going to check that one out. It'll also be in the show notes as well. So next up, how do you manage balancing your life, traveling, working out, your girlfriend and your work? And I would say that before I was in a relationship, it was a lot easier for me to know what I was doing. I had a lot of structure. I had a lot of order, but I didn't have probably as much joy and fun and happiness in my life that I do now. So I was a little less balanced. I was, I was, if anything, I'd say I was unbalanced. And I think if we go back to that podcast that I recorded on, on balance was specifically, I was quite content with being out of balance. So it's been something that I've kind of welcomed with open arms. And I've said this within my relationship podcast as well, is that I don't think anyone else could have come into my life and made, not made me, but had opened me up to so many changes if it wasn't for the girl who did. And realistically, I've been happy to embrace them. Am I going to say it's easy? Absolutely not. I still have to keep up with all these commitments and these goals. And I also want to be an incredible partner as well. And I find it relatively easy and effortless to do all of these things, but it doesn't take away the fact that there is still only 24 hours in the day. And I still want to give 110% to all these things. So if I'm honest, if how I'm managing it, I'm just doing my best to be completely honest. And I'm working things out as I go. There's times in which I'm 
leaning into my structure and discipline side. And there's times where I'm leaning into my spontaneity side. And as long as I feel like I'm not falling short in any of those areas, then I'm happy to embrace the, the way it is right now. And it, I'm happy to embrace life as it comes, which again, sounds very unusual to come out my mouth if you've heard me speak in the past. But yeah, I can't say anything different. That's literally how I feel in this moment. And I'm happy to embrace life as it comes and all the changes that I've, I've come in. I'm welcoming them. And am I super, super balanced? I'm definitely well more balanced. I think it's just going to be one of those enjoyable, I don't want to call it a challenge, but for lack of a better term, challenge that I'm going to embrace and I'm going to learn more of over time. Because there's going to be more things that I'm going to have to do. And ultimately, I knew that one day that this time would come. It's come a little earlier than I expected, but I'm happy to be doing it. And that's kind of, yeah, full stop on that answer. Next question. How did you find your passion so young? What led you to it? I was very fortunate in a way that I feel that a lot of our passions come from our in, like, insecurities or our incompetencies when we're younger. And I told you I was a chubby child with <laughs> not very great genetics and not a super in shape physique when I was a child, basically. So ultimately, I realized that I wasn't in shape. I felt uncomfortable in the PE changing rooms, which I think I've said before. And I wanted to make a change. And I don't know where the consciousness in me as a child came to like go Google things and work out how to change things. But I did. I went on Google. I searched. <laughs> I, told, I think I've said this before, but Zac Efron diet, David Beckham diet. And I found a few ideas of what they were doing. And then I went and raided my freezers to find what had protein in it. I went for like, I, all it was, it was like high protein, low carb. That was everything that I could read maybe like 14 years ago or something along those lines. So I just did that to the best of my ability with whatever was in my freezer at the time. I wasn't food shopping. I was like 14 or 15 years old. And then ultimately I knew exercise would help as well. So I got two shampoo bottles. I started doing bicep curls in the bathroom. I started doing tricep dips on the bar for use the bathroom store for planks. That's literally how my journey began. And then eventually I got a small set of dumbbells headed to the gym and it just grew. And I saw the changes being made and I was loving it. I was enjoying every single improvement that I was making. And that is something within my personality and it always has been. It's like, if I can see progress in something and I can see it's a result of my effort, then I'm very, very likely to follow through on it and keep climbing and keep going. And I just loved it. It was one of those things that I was like, yeah, not only am I seeing results, I'm very passionate about this. I want to read about it. I want to learn about it. And I just followed the path and ultimately it led me to where I am today. So I'm immensely grateful, immensely grateful for my 13, 14, 15 year old self for being able to search on Google. And also I'm grateful for the time in my life as well. It's like Google was accessible when I was that age. Imagine if it was 30 years earlier and I didn't have access to a gym or any resources or information that led me in that path. So yeah, grateful for the timing as well as my younger self. So next question, do you have a bucket list? And if so, can you share it? I actually don't have a bucket list. There are a few things I definitely know I want to do in my life, but I've never really had the desire to put things down. Maybe I should, maybe it would be a good idea to do it. If I'm honest, when I feel the desire to do something or go somewhere, I try to start mapping out the plan of how I can do that. And I am fortunate enough to be able to say that and do that at this moment in my life. But there are certainly things that I haven't yet done that I would love to do. So maybe I should start writing them down, but I don't have a bucket list. But if you have any things on your bucket list that you think that I should potentially add to mine, let me know. So what is the best experience you have lived? And I'm going to give a very very different answer here. And honestly, I love my life where it is today. And I think the best experience that I'm living is every moment that I am existing at this moment in time. I'm honestly in a very, very great place. I'm very happy, very content. Oof, get a little bit emotional saying this, but honestly, my experience of life is beautiful at this moment in time. So the best moment I've lived is the moment I'm living. So before I get any more emotional, I'm going to move on from that one. So which of your top three countries is your favorite to live and why? So I 
would put together a short list of three. So the first one is definitely going to be Mexico City. I really do love Mexico City. I don't, I am definitely biased in saying that now, but I promise that I loved Mexico City before I discovered my Mexican girlfriend. Um, but yeah, I really loved living there. I went back a second time. I found it extremely easy to settle in. I found the lifestyle in a nice pace. It had a lot of the things that I wanted in the neighborhood that I lived in. And I found it very easy to get a good blend between downtime or work time. I found that very, very easy. Second is Lisbon. I really liked li living and working in Lisbon. Same concept applies as well. It was very easy to get that downtime. And then it was also very easy to step into a cafe and see everyone sat down with their MacBook. So as soon as I wanted to flick that switch and get back to work mode, it was very easy. But then it was a very easy ability to flick the switch and essentially go to rest mode as well. So I really liked that aspect too. So favorite one to live in outside. I'm going to leave you a two. I think those are my top two currently. I would say there's a similar thing with Dubai as well, considering it's work hard and play hard type city. And the fact that the beach is so close, the weather's always super nice. And then you've also got that ability to have the hustle side of the city. I would put it down as my third one. I think I'm looking at it from where my current lifestyle is and the fact that I work a lot and I do need that quick transition to essentially wind down. None of those three places are probably somewhere I think I can see myself long-term, but for my lifestyle right now, that was where I would say that they're helpful. So to be confirmed on like the long-term plans, but in the immediate term, considering the lifestyle I live, those are the ones I found pretty easiest to settle into. So next question, I have a lot of cravings. What would you recommend to me? I really don't know what to do. So first of all, you're not alone. A lot of us experience cravings and hunger. And I went through this again in another episode, a very early episode of the podcast, which was episode 11. In fact, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, it's probably one of the most listened to episodes on the podcast, full stop. I think it's in the top five. So have a listen to that. I go through a lot of practical ways in which you can do it. Also, how you can distinguish the difference between a like a hunger signal and a craving as well, which I think is a really important distinction to make. So I'd highly recommend heading over to that one and you'll get plenty of recommendations from there. Similar question in terms of the health and fitness side of things. If I'm overweight, what can I do to be motivated and start? I do things, but it's very hard because of stress diseases. I feel tired. I don't see any changes. Whew, where do I begin with this one? And again, it's important to remember that you are not alone here. I think a lot of us have felt this way in the past. And I think that the main thing is the, the reason why it's hard to start is because it seems very overwhelming in all that you have to do, right? If you're already stressed, if you're suffering with certain diseases, if you're feeling tired, then I, we'll leave out the I don't see any changes just yet and you're struggling to start. Like that's a lot of baggage to be bringing to anything, right? It's almost like getting to the start line of going for a half marathon and having your suitcase and your backpack on top of you, right? There's a lot going on there. So I would start by looking at trying to reduce the load in order to get going because of realistically once you get started the load seems to get lighter because of stress can be helped by improving your health and wellness diseases can get improved by improving your health and wellness improving your health and wellness can help you with feeling tiredness tiredness and then when it comes to don't seeing any changes you have to start in order to see those changes as well so what i would try and do and something i do with my clients a lot is what i call minimum effective dose what's the absolute minimum you can do while still seeing some form of changes and that's where i would get started like don't go from zero to 100 don't think that if you're not exercising currently 
If you're not exercising currently, a walk is sufficient. And if you're overweight, your body weight is probably enough resistance to get going, right? That's an unusual advantage that you might not see as an advantage. But if you are 20 kilos overweight, if I put a 20 kilo weight vest on myself right now, that would be challenging for me. Try and get out on a long walk. Try and find some stairs in which you can go on. And that is going to be more than sufficient for the time being. And then same goes for your nutrition as well. And this is what I always say to people on consults. If they say my nutrition is terrible, my training is terrible, my sleep is terrible, I'm like, ironically, that's a good thing because it would be more of a challenge if you told me you were doing everything and you weren't seeing results. But it kind of makes sense. If your sleep is terrible and your training and nutrition aren't in a good place, then of course we're not going to be seeing results. But the beauty of this is that a small tweak is probably going to make a big difference. So, okay, your nutrition is pretty terrible. So what can we do to improve the quality of one meal? And your sleep's terrible. What we can, what one thing can we change in order to make your sleep quality a little bit better? So I think it's just about reducing the overwhelm and not feeling like you have to do a ton of things and just getting it down to that very bare minimum. And then as I mentioned before, master the art of showing up. Don't have any expectations and don't look at the mountain. Look at the next checkpoint because if you look to the top of the mountain, it's always going to seem daunting and overwhelming. But if you look at the next day, the next week, and even the next hour, like just break it down into the most smallest, smallest steps and just start taking that path and start taking that path. And if you feel lack of motivation, if you don't feel like you're making progress, accept that those are also parts of the journey. Like it's not supposed to be easy, right? Like no one said it was going to be. And that doesn't mean it has to be terribly hard, but at the same time, it's worth reflecting on your current lifestyle and remembering that's probably not easy. It's not easy to be stressed. It's not easy to have poor health. It's not easy to be tired and it's not easy to be unmotivated. So you're almost choosing one hard for another hard. And if you can have that perspective of like, well, actually this is hard but my lifestyle already is. And this is actually moving me in a direction of good and of uh, optimal health or even just a better quality of life. And the other one isn't, then I would pick the hard that might seem a little bit more challenging in the moment, but is ultimately leading you to a much better place because the opposite probably isn't. Hopefully that helps and all the best on you starting your journey. So next one, what's the best way I can help someone in their process? There are many different answers to this, but the one I always come back to is be the example. Be the example. Don't press your lifestyle onto other people. Health and fitness specifically isn't something you can encourage, but people have to take that step on their own. And I would just lead the way and be receptive when that person is ready for help. And don't place any expectations on the time that they're going to get there. You'll be willing and receptive to help them. And also remember that just by doing you and by leading the way, they will notice. I worked with so many people who have been on a journey and they've started improving their health and wellness. All of a sudden, they are energetic. They are going to the gym. They're looking better. They're feeling better. And their wife, their husband, their cousin, their brother looks and they're like, oh, I want a little bit more of what they're doing. Like that looks pretty good to me. Yes, they're putting a lot of effort, but look at the results they're getting. And I think ultimately, you know, so many people ask me, okay, how can I get my kids to start eating better? I'm like, how are you eating? I want my kids or, you know, my family to stop using social media so much. Well, how much are you using social media? Like if you are the one leading the way and doing it for yourself, not to sit on your high horse and tell people like, I'm so special and fantastic, but more in the sense of like, okay, reducing my social media usage is important to me. Being in healthy and being in shape is important to me. And you just lead the example without being too pushy that's the best thing that you can do. And then, like I said, be receptive for when they start asking questions. And again, don't push it on them. They'll come in their own time. And then ultimately, their journey is their journey. You can only do so much to help someone. And like I said, you're probably going to really get conflicted and frustrated if you try and push it onto anyone because I've never really seen that work successfully. So next question, do you want to get married? I absolutely
absolutely do want to get married. I've gone back and forth with this in the past. I've actually been on the side of not wanting to get married and having thoughts behind that and wondering why something official needs to be determined in order to formalize love. I've never, like there was points where I was like, I never really understand this. You know, it's just a something that was just created for the sake of law and doesn't really mean anything. And I've gone to the other side of thinking, okay, well, it's a beautiful commitment and I've landed ultimately in the middle. I've come to both sides of the coin and I absolutely do want to get married. I actually see myself getting married in the very near future. I'm absolutely going to get engaged in the very near future. And that might be quite crazy to hear on this podcast, especially if you've been listening for a while. But yeah, I'm absolutely content with that decision. And I think that ultimately, whether or not it's like a, a thing that was implemented for any good reason, it's not really about the reason it was created it's more about the reason the meaning you give to it and i think it really does show a next level of commitment i think there's something to say where i'm committed to you my partner we're in a long-term relationship but at the same time it's like there's quite an easy way out right there's quite an easy way out but when you're actually married and it's it's bound by law and you actually need yeah it doesn't really give you that many ways out and i think it just goes to show it's a next level of commitment right it really is to me so i think that that's an important step and it's a step that i want to take so i'm absolutely looking to get married in the future so next up how has your concept of life changed through time (sighs) i kind of want to save this one for another podcast that's a a really really good uh, question but i think ultimately I think that I've just looked at it from very many different angles. Like I've looked at it from the perspective of like success is the most important thing. Happiness is the most important thing. I don't know what the most important thing is. So I think it's just been more a sense of trying to find what a good quality and fulfilling life looks like to me. And that is constantly evolving and transforming. I don't want to give a, not a very well thought out answer because I've not really had the time to assimilate all of, all of that question just by reading it now because I didn't see it in my notes before. But I'd say ultimately, yeah, as I've gone through life, I've just tried to determine what a meaningful life means to me and essentially just trying to work out what my existence is really going to be about in this life. And obviously that changes on a very, very regular basis based on what I think is important in that moment. I know it will change in the future when I have a family, for example. So there's a lot of different things there. So I don't want to give a short, not thought out answer. So I'm going to park that one for now, but I'd say ultimately it's changed based on the different thought processes I've had, the different experiences that I've lived and the different moments I am in my life. So next up is describe your dream life. And again, to come back to that best experience that you're living like I'm very happy with my life at this moment in time I'm very content with the way that I lead my life the work that I do the moments that I have outside of my work as well like I'm very very content with where things are is there goals that I want to achieve do I ultimately want a home in the future all those type of things absolutely but I don't want to be focusing too far on what the dream is rather than living the dream that is right now so ultimately I'm not going to go into any detail about the different house that I want what location I want to live I just want to be content with where I am right now and ultimately I think that's the most important thing so next up do you have any insecurity and how do you take power over them I would say that I have had plenty of insecurities and I would say there are certain insecurities that we're all working with the the best thing I've ever done I think if I'm honest I don't think my insecurities have much power of me whatsoever I think rather than shining light on those I shine the light on the things that I love about myself and that's taken work and conscious effort to do so but I really don't feel the power of my insecurities that often there are certain ones that come up here and there or certain things that I don't feel are super familiar that I need to get used to for sure but I love the idea that an insecurity 
insecurity is a road that you travel down. So ultimately, if you are feeling insecure about, I don't know, public speaking, for example, then unpack that. Ask yourself, what is it about public speaking? Okay, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to be embarrassed in front of people. Okay, what does messing up mean to you? And what does being embarrassed in front of people mean to me? Ah, people people won't think I'm competent. People will think I'm, I'm a failure because when I was... 10 years old in primary school, people were laughing at me because I froze when I went up on stage. There is always something behind that insecurity. And like I said, it's a road to travel down. And I've always thought that when you actually start to take action on anything in your life that you're not really particularly happy with, you will feel 10 times better for it. It's not even the fact of resolving it. Let's say your insecurity is that public speaking, but you're not quite there yet in terms of your ability to step on stage and speak. If you know you're making progress in that area, it's empowering. That's how I've always felt anyway. It's like, at least I know that I'm doing something about this and I'm not just living with it. So ultimately I'd say, I think we all have insecurities. I think that we allow them to have power over us. So it's just a case of determining, do I really want to be ran by this insecurity? And if you do notice it, it's kind of your responsibility it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility to then travel down that path to improving it. Or if it if you do allow it to run your life in a way that is your responsibility as well. And it, ultimately, if you don't take ownership of it, it probably will run wild. So I think that's probably my closing thoughts on that. It's not easy and it's a lot easier said than done. But if you can apply that mentality and like I said, just travel down that road and have no expectations on when it might come to a resolve, then I think you will be in a very, very good place. So what do you see in your partner that you look so in love. I think, well, the first thing is that I am super, super in love. So that look is very organic and authentic. But ultimately, I've said from the very beginning is that I have a lot of aspects within me that weren't so well pronounced. And everything that I don't see so well pronounced in myself that I would love to have myself, I see in my partner. I see the way she engages with the world. I see the light that she carries within her. I see the compassion for the universe that she has. I, I love the internal reflections that she has. I Just all the beauty that comes out of her both internally and externally is just mind-blowing to me and honestly I've never met a human who I feel this way for or admire in so many different ways and it's beautiful and it's unique and even the aspects that I have in me and that she has in a different way and she engages with them in a different manner to I do I'm just very very inspired and I really really admire her so that's probably why I look so in love and ultimately I am so that's probably why you see that look in my eyes and it's it's pretty undeniable if I'm completely honest so next up what's the biggest thing you love about your work. I think the thing that I've always come back to is ultimately when I when I start with a new client, I know based on what I've been able to do over the past decade of my career is that this person has the opportunity in their hands to literally transform their life. And that is super inspiring and empowering to me. Like honestly, I know that what I can do with them will work. And I don't take that much credit because I'm just leading the way. I'm facilitating the way, but I'm so empowered and excited. And I'm getting goosebumps whilst I'm saying this, honestly, that they can literally turn their life around. And I know that so many people come into me, come to me, I should say, in a place of pain. So to know that I have the ability to help someone get out of a place of pain is just something that I don't think I'll ever get over. Will I be a coach for the rest of my life? I don't know yet. But at the same time, I don't think that feeling's ever gonna go away of knowing that you have the tools and the answers to the questions that have been on someone's mind for 20, 25, 30 years, and you have the ability to help them 
get back their confidence, get back to feeling themselves, get back to being the person that they want to be. It goes beyond just losing a couple of pounds or having a flatter stomach. It goes back to them feeling themselves and being ultimately who they are. And like, there's no better feeling. Like I honestly know that if you follow what I say and if you are willing to engage with the challenges that comes up, you will get your results. Like that is a powerful statement. And I genuinely believe that's true for anyone who works with me. That's why I'm still fired up and that's why it means just as much to me as it did on day one, to be completely honest. So next question, why do you love exercising so much? What do you feel or what do you think whilst doing it? So I think I just like the idea of progress. I think I said this at the very beginning is that if I see something that I do and it's um, my own effort and it gets me results, I can just do it endlessly. I think there is something in my mind that loves that you do the work, you get the outcome. And it all comes down to pretty much what you do. Like there's nothing that's going to contribute to my physique that anyone else can really do. When when you look at your body in the mirror, that's the work that you did ultimately. Or if it's not in the place that you want to be, that's still the work that you did. And I think that that's the best thing for me. And my training journey has changed. I used to just love it. And it was just like fun for me. And I'd say that it's still fun for me, but a lot of what I like now is the technical element. I like executing exercises effectively. I like to make progress, not in the sense of just lifting super heavy weights, but just going through movement patterns and just trying to get the most out of them and just almost mastering the craft of exercise is probably what I get out of it the most now. Like I get more satisfied when I look at a video and be like, oh, that form was clean rather than lifting, you know, an extra 20 kilos now. But strength still matters to me. And I think the training journey gets even more fun as you go for longer because you are technically better and you are stronger as well. And those two things together are really enjoyable. And ultimately, I think that I know the impact it has on me and it has had on me for years and years and years. Ultimately, I don't think I'd be the person I am today if I didn't have exercise and my nutrition in my life. So it's not something I'm ever going to let go of. It's something I, I love and it's something, you know, in some shape or form I will do for the rest of my life. So next up, every person has their own inner child. Do you feel that you've healed him? And how was that process? Ooh, another good one. <laughs> another deep one as well. I actually do have a podcast coming out soon on an expert on healing your inner child. And I think that's going to be really valuable. And I'm excited to ask her a bunch of questions on that front. But ultimately, I think that I've done a good amount of work with him, that little Elliot. I've definitely spoken to him. I've definitely helped him. I've definitely revisited past scenarios with him. But I would say there's probably more that I could do to be the big brother to him that he probably needs or needed potentially. I think there's a lot more to do on that front. Maybe not a lot more to do. I think I've done a lot of work already and I don't feel that it's pressing right now. I think maybe just more compassion, more regular visits could help. Maybe a little bit more verbalizing and let him him out from time to time is probably going to be the most healing thing I can do for him at this moment in time. But the process was uncomfortable. I remember the first time being in hypnotherapy, identifying that I had an inner child and remember being asked to go and speak to him. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was just like, this is like some weird role play. And it was, it was deeply uncomfortable to, to begin with. And I say it very comfortably now and like I can do it, but I would still be slightly uncomfortable about doing it now. I do have a lot more ease doing it because I've done it many times, but at the same time, it's still something quite unusual and it's, it's vulnerable. And it yeah, it's it feels quite exposing at times, but ultimately I know the power of it and I know the value of it as well. So I think that the process of healing is ultimately lifelong. I don't think that that means you can't be healed whilst you still heal. It's almost like the sense of being a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. I truly believe that it all comes down to these paradoxes in life. They stand true to me. So that's why I would give my perspective on that. Next up, how do you usually connect with yourself? So 
I would say that I had a lot more practices in the past that brought me back to that. And I would do a lot of meditation. I would get out into nature. I would listen to like music super, super loud. I would read and do all these things, but I'm not doing quite as much as those at this moment in time. I am less engaging in those and probably more engaging with life. But I do feel very connected with myself ultimately. And I think I'm going to come back to these some of these practices and they will help with my connection. But ultimately, I feel just living in congruence with who I know I am and who I believe I am and want to be and just living in alignment with my values allows me to connect with myself on a regular basis maybe not on the level of listening deeply to my thoughts but I I am a fairly introspective person so it doesn't require me so much to sit down in a meditation I can sometimes just stand in a shower and start listening to what the quality of my mind looks like or have a haircut and start to think about some of the thoughts that are coming up and and that's a good way for me to connect with myself so I would say I would have I had a lot of formal practices in which allowed me to do that before But I think just engaging with life and living in alignment with my values is ultimately helping me do that in this time. So next question, do you get angry and how how do you deal with it? Anger is an interesting emotion and it's one that I've tried to move in the opposite direction of for my entire life. Like I've never seen the value in getting angry and ultimately beneath anger, there's always another emotion. It's frustration, it's stress, it's, and even stress is a terrible term to use because there's a deep one there. It might be, yeah, like usually frustration, it usually means mismet expectations, not being able to get what you want like there's many different things that come under the, uh, the bracket of or umbrella of angry and ultimately i've never seen it as an expression of an emotion that is favorable it, it looks messy it looks obviously it can impact other people yes anger can be constructively used for productivity but at the same time, that's where I think I've tried to channel mine in the past if I do get angry about certain things, but I don't think I've done a very good job of dealing with it. I've done a lot of work to suppress, if I'm completely honest, and that's come up in my therapy sessions as well. And what you find is when you suppress anger, it comes out in other ways. Sometimes it comes out in frustration also, but other times it comes out in sadness and a lot of depression sometimes as well. And I've definitely had experience with suppressing anger and it's been a process that I've worked through. If I'm honest, I can't say to this day that I have a productive way of expressing my anger so that's still a work in progress so i guess to answer your question i get angry just like everyone does but i probably don't express it in the same way and the things that get me angry i can't really define them off the top of my head it's again a question that i've been asked recently that i have some homework to do on but yeah i think maybe a journal journaling entry on that would be really helpful but still working on that and that's an honest reflection it's very much a work in progress and something i've worked with my therapist on a very recent recent basis so next question would you like to be a woman or are you great as a man and why i'd love to have the experience of what a woman feels like on a like a day-to-day basis like full stop like within their body within their consciousness and how they engage with the world and how other people engage with them but that's as far as it goes I'm completely honest maybe like a day or two and that should be sufficient I actually really like being a man I, I really do enjoy the traditional masculinity side of things that seems to get a bit of a bad rap these days but I personally love being a man I love the traditionally masculine qualities I love being able to integrate my feminine side and having that vulnerability as well but ultimately being super secure in my masculinity that I'm happy at this moment in my life let me preface this because this has not always been the way but uh, to let tears fall from my eyes to be so open and vulnerable in podcasts like this but ultimately know who I am and have the masculine traits within me so I'm very secure in my masculinity I'm very secure in who I am that I'm happy to engage with my feminine side so I don't feel necessarily the need to be a woman per se like I said maybe 
maybe from a physiological perspective and emotional perspective, I'd like to see what it's like uh, for a day. But I like to be a man and I like to live an example of what I think a man should be and should carry himself. And I hope to do more work on that in the future as well. So that is the last question of one hell of a podcast. It's just under an hour. So I'm going to wrap it up there. But I really hope that you've enjoyed diving into my mind, essentially. I've spoken very honestly. I wasn't expecting some of these questions. So yeah, it took a few interesting turns, but I hope it was of value. And I will probably do another one of these in the future. Maybe I'm going to leave a good gap. It was almost a year since I've done the last one. So maybe I'll do another one in six to 12 months time or something along those lines. And then we can go from there. But that is me back on the solo podcast as well. So I hope you enjoyed having my voice. I I gave you a treat today, guys. Like you haven't heard my full voice for so long and now you get 60 full minutes of it. So I hope you enjoyed it. And again, thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for all the support on the podcast. I hope you're looking forward to the short solo episodes returning. They will be back from next week as well, along with the consistent guest episode. And if you've got any recommendations, I'm always open. You can feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. It's probably the best way to go at Elliot Hassoon, which is always in the show notes, or you can email me and that email address will also be in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for listening team. Take care and I'll speak to you very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoon. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.